morning all. And uh, as Steve mentioned, we are looking at the lectionary readings for today. Uh, next Sunday is the first Sunday in Lent. And uh, although we're not in Lent today, the passages we're looking at today kind of prepare the way for that. And uh, as I was beginning to look at these passages um, earlier in the week, I was reminded of, reminded of that experience you can get when you go to a foreign country or a foreign culture, uh, oh, turned off. Okay. Uh, and then come back to the UK. And um, when you come back to the UK, it's as if you can be confronted with your own culture. When you go to that other culture, you're immersed in that other culture, and then when you come back, your own culture strikes you because you notice where it clashes with that other culture. I, um, a few years ago, went to Thailand on a short-term mission project for about five weeks. And uh, I've travelled a fair amount, but when I was there, my word, I have never been to a more different culture. And I love travelling, it was a great experience, but it was really different for me. This wasn't touristy Thailand, uh, this was right out in the sticks, where no visitors go. So I really got a sense of authentic Thai culture. But at the same time, it was also quite difficult for me. I didn't speak, sadly, any Thai, and they didn't speak any English. So I was completely dependent on the missionary I was staying with to be able to communicate with uh, anyone when I was there. But when I came back to the UK, I, I couldn't believe how much I saw consumerism around me. And I also noticed how uh, dependent we are on technology. I noticed it in a way that I'd never noticed it before. Similarly, when I go to Taizé, which is this Christian community in France I have connections with, I often find that when I come back, I notice just how fast-paced our life is. Because for that week when I'm there, I'm living in a spirit-filled, love-centered community. And when I come back, if I'm honest, I kind of notice the lack of it in a way that I hadn't seen it previously. And uh, in the Matthew passage we're looking at today, we sort of see this same thing play out. Jesus' disciples know about Jesus in his humanity. They've spent time with him. They know Jesus, the man. It's his divinity that surprised them. Jesus has always been human, and he's always, sorry, Jesus has always been God, and even whilst he was human. But it's when the disciples are confronted with this God aspect to Jesus' character that it becomes overwhelming for them, and almost too much for them to handle. In this passage, Jesus, the Father confirms that in Jesus, God is, in, is inaugurating, it's hard word to say, inaugurating a new way of life. He's bringing about a new way of life. The Father says in this passage that in Jesus, a new thing is about to begin. And it's going to be good. We're going to be looking at the Matthew passage that we had read to us earlier. So we're not really going to refer to that Exodus passage. But um, as Steve says, you can see the background to the Matthew passage in this Exodus passage. In this Exodus passage... 
as uh, God meets with Moses on this mountaintop, uh, God seals a covenant he's made with the Israelites, the people of God. As God meets with Jesus on the mountain, it represents the beginning of a new covenant, and a, a covenant that's going to be good, and a covenant that's going to be better. So, in the Matthew passage, Peter, James, and John go on a day hike with Jesus up a mountain. And in order for us to understand something of uh, Peter, James, and John's reactions in this passage, we need to know a bit of the background as well. This passage has context. It has a history. Peter, James, and John already have a relationship with Jesus. And we need to take a look at that before we move on. And uh, in Matthew's Gospel, the first we hear of Peter, James, and John is back in Matthew chapter 4. And in Matthew 4, Peter, James, and John are out on uh, the Sea of Galilee and they're fishing. They're doing their day job. This is what they do day in, day out. They prepare the nets, they throw the nets into the sea, and they fish. That's their life. All of a sudden, on the shore, is this stranger, Jesus. And he says to them, hey, put your nets down, come and follow me. They leave their nets, and they go, and they follow Jesus. Clearly, from day one, Jesus has some sort of impact on these characters. They know that there's something different about him. From that point, Jesus goes on to heal lots of people who are ill of all sorts of illnesses and diseases. And he goes on to preach this massive sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And as he speaks, what the crowds notice is that this is no ordinary preacher. This is a guy who speaks with authority. Jesus heals more people and he casts out demonic spirits from people who are oppressed. Jesus then gathers his 12 disciples together and he gives them the same power and authority that he has. And he sends them out to do exactly what Jesus has been doing. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, uh, cure those who have leprosy. As uh, Jesus' disciples return to him, Jesus does some more teaching through short stories, parables, and uh, he feeds the 5,000. So the disciples have already done a fair amount with Jesus. They've seen him do some amazing things. They've heard him speak in ways that no one else spoke, with power and authority, and Jesus has given them that same power and authority. Their lives have been changed by Jesus. And all within a relatively short amount of time, the whole of Jesus' earthly ministry, from his baptism right up to his resurrection, was only three years. So Jesus has really broken into these disciples' lives. And then we come to chapter 16. 
And in verse 15, Jesus says to the disciples, Who do you say that I am? And Peter perks up, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Well done, Peter. Ticking the box, full marks, you passed the test. That's right. Immediately after this, Jesus goes on to explain that the religious authorities are going to kill Jesus and three, three days after that, he's going to be raised to life. Peter, who's still buzzing from this affirmation from Jesus, says, never, Lord, that shall never happen to you. And Jesus replies, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but merely human concerns. Peter goes from this massive high to this massive low. And we don't read about Peter's reactions here, but I'm guessing that he was probably quite hurt. Peter respects Jesus. Jesus is one of Peter's best friends. Jesus has changed Peter's life. And this comes immediately before the passage we're looking at today. And in this passage, we have Peter, James, and John, who've been with Jesus throughout this whole time. They think they know Jesus well. Yes, okay, Jesus may be a little different. Yes, Jesus may have a power and authority that they've never seen before. But nevertheless, Jesus is their friend. And I wonder this morning, do you know Jesus as a friend? This is the Jesus who is interested in everybody. But this is also the Jesus who takes a day out of his busy ministry schedule just to go on a day hike with three of his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, to spend quality time with them, to hang out with them. We may or we may not have seen Jesus do some incredible miracles like those listed in the first few chapters of Matthew, but we can know Jesus as a friend. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, it says that Jesus sees us as his brothers and sisters. And it means that if he sees us as his brothers and sisters, we can see Jesus as a brother. And a little later on in that same chapter, in chapter 2 of Hebrews, in verse 17, it says that Jesus became like us, fully human in every way. It means that Jesus is relatable. It means that we can understand something about him. To see someone as a brother means that we, know, we have to know them very well. Peter, James and John have been with Jesus 
this whole time already throughout his ministry. They know Jesus well. To them, Jesus is a brother. One of my housemates is a Hungarian guy called Laszlo. And he's like a brother to me. We're not related technically, but he's like a brother to me. We've been with each other through real highs that we've both been through and real lows that we've both been through. This is the Jesus who comes alongside us as we go through the highs and lows of life. Jesus is our brother and he is our friend. We need to spend time with someone if we want to know them as a brother. Do you know Jesus this morning as not just a friend, but a brother as well? Thank you, Heather. Not quite that one. So we come to our passage today, and it's been six days since Peter messed up. And uh, I can imagine that uh, as they come to spend this day with Jesus, they're all looking forward to a day away from the pressures of ministry, perhaps Peter more than most. This is a day just for them and Jesus, quality time. Friends need this time. And they leave everything behind. They're used to crowds, but this is simply Jesus, Peter, James, and John. And Jesus takes them to a mountain, and they begin to climb. And uh, I can imagine that uh, just like all relationships, all good friendships, as they climb together, there are times when they have some really deep conversations, where they really get have heart-to-hearts with each other. There are times when they just have silly fun and joke and play with each other. And there are times when they just enjoy the silent presence of each other without feeling any particular need to say anything. And they get to the top of the mountain, and I can imagine that uh, Peter, James and John are thinking, great, we're going to relax here for a bit, hang out, look at the view, maybe watch the sunset... And then maybe gradually we'll we'll head down again, if you can climb down a mountain when it's dark. Anyway. But, quite matter-of-factly, as Peter, James, and John are standing or, or sitting there at the top of this mountain, the passage says, There, Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter, James and John need to see this. They know Jesus. Jesus is their friend. He's their brother. He's like one of them. But they also need to know but he is more as well. Just before Peter tells Jesus that he's wrong about his death, uh, Peter has correctly identified Jesus as the Messiah, 
the Son of the living God. Well, now Jesus demonstrates it. You see, it's as if Peter has kind of seen it from a distance, from afar. But he's never quite understood it. He doesn't understand what that means. And that's why he tells Jesus that he's wrong about his death. They need to know that whilst Jesus is human, he's also God. It's like my trip to Thailand. They've known Jesus so well as a friend and as a brother that when they come face to face with the fact that Jesus is, almost, is, is God as well, it's overwhelming for them. And they can't understand it. Jesus has always been God as well as human. But it's only now that they come to see it for themselves. It's like when you return to your own culture from another culture. And as Moses and Elijah appear talking with Jesus, they represent the beginning of a new covenant. Moses represents the law, Elijah represents the prophets. And the father speaks and he says, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Moses and Elijah are here and their time is coming to an end. Listen to him, Jesus. This passage we're looking at today is nestled between two of Jesus' three predictions of his death and resurrection in Matthew's Gospel. We've already looked at one just before our passage, and there's one that comes in verses 22 and 23 of chapter 17. This comes right between the two. And it's as if the Father's trying to say here, in Jesus' death and resurrection, this new covenant is going to come about. This new beginning is going to take place. The transfiguration represents just this. The law and the prophets must give way to Jesus. Once the Jews can accept this, they'll experience a freedom unlike anything they've ever experienced before. We don't live in a society where we've ever had to follow Old Testament laws in the same way that uh, people did back then. But I do wonder at times whether we uh, intentionally or unintentionally can end up putting up additional spoken or unspoken laws or rules that people must follow in order to be accepted by us. We've done a lot of work over the past few months on what it means to be a welcoming church. Well, I think we'll really come to see how effective we've been in that if in the next few months we find people coming and settling amongst us who previously may not have felt welcomed to do so. This new covenant, this death and resurrection of Jesus is one that throws open the doors to all people regardless of who they are, regardless of their background, regardless of what's going on in their lives right now. Maybe you have never asked Jesus into your heart. Maybe you have, but you recognise that there are things right now 
that are tying you down and holding you back. Perhaps that could be secrets or hidden addictions. Maybe it could be uh, ways of thinking, negative ways of thinking that continually seek to pull you down. Perhaps it could be that you realize that perhaps you're not the best at knowing how to handle money. Perhaps it could be an obsessive need to be liked, to look good. When Jesus died and rose again, he did so so that you can be free. This is what this transfiguration represents. Jesus is able to set you free and to transform you. We have prayer ministry available later in the service and we would love to pray for you. Do make use of that. If you're also a follower of Jesus, I'd love to encourage you to think about the Freedom in Christ course as well. Uh, our young adult group are doing that at the moment and it's amazing. There's, there's really deep truths there that really can set you free. As uh, Peter, James and John see Jesus in this transfigured state, it's as if for that moment they're being given a sneak preview into the full character of who Jesus is. No human alone can ever defeat the power of sin and death. But this person here, standing before them, this is who Jesus is. This transfigured person face shining like the sun, clothes as bright as the light. This God-man, this God-man, Jesus, can set you free. When Peter sees uh, Jesus in this uh, transfigured state, uh, as bright as the light, in his usual nervous enthusiasm, he blurts out, uh, Lord, it, it's good for us to be here. Let, let me put up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and, and one for Elijah. And uh, God interrupts him, the father interrupts him and says, Shush, Peter, this is my son, I love him, listen to him. But in a funny kind of sense, Peter gets it right. Because what he realizes here is that there's some similarity to what happens each year. Back then they had this thing called uh, the Feast of Booths, which was uh, a Jewish festival where for seven days uh, they, the Jews would camp outside. I think it was like preparing the grounds for New Wine and AYF camp, though I'm sure New Wine and AYF camp were far better than the Feast of Booths. And uh, so th this Feast of Booths was basically a celebration remembering the Exodus when God led the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt through to a new, a new land, the promised land, Canaan. What Peter gets right here is that this is exactly what happens back then. This is the ultimate Exodus. This is the ultimate way that God redeems and frees his people. The problem is that Peter wants to put up tents. 
And by putting up tents, he wants to memorialize the event. Jesus' death and resurrection becomes a thing we remember, we we celebrate, but never really live out. This freedom in Jesus' death and resurrection is no academic exercise. This is not mere theory. This is reality. We really can, you really can, live free and unencumbered lives. Lives that people in the rest of society cannot live because they do not have Jesus. This is a relationship we can live. And as the father interrupts Jesus, uh, sorry, Peter's well-meaning but uh, inappropriate uh, outburst, the glory of God's presence represents as a cloud comes and descends on the mountain, a symbol that we see many times in the Old Testament. And the disciples fall, terrified, face down on the mountain. This is God's awesome presence. They think they will die. All of a sudden, in an intimate and gentle act, as if to say, life goes on. Jesus touches each of the disciples and says it's okay don't be afraid come on and Jesus is back to Jesus the person they've known and yet he's not they've seen something more now yes he's their friend Yes, he's their brother. But he's also going to be their saviour and their deliverer. Jesus wants to be the same for you and for me. Shall we pray?